Thanks for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. What a delight to be here tonight. How many of you glad to be, like Elijah said, in the house of the Lord? I mean, how many of you are really glad? Say amen and amen. Awesome. I was over in the office area, and I took a uh, selfie. I'm not much into selfies. I think people that take a lot of selfies are selfish. But, but sometimes I'll take, occasionally I'll take a selfie, and I got, uh, I got the team, Joslyn and uh, Brother Ron and uh, Terry, and I said, come on, take a selfie with me, and I, I, just so you know, I'm not too selfish, okay? I only had half of me. I got all of them in, okay? But uh, we took a picture, and I texted it to... Pastor Tim Delina. And I said, look where I get to preach tonight, baby. Pa- Pastor Tim's a, a great friend of mine. I hear he's going to be here Wednesday night for the installation. And I prayed with your pastor on the way in tonight. And uh, I just speak blessings over you, Revival Tabernacle. And choir... You really blessed us. I mean, you really blessed us. Thank you for having an anointing upon your ministry and honoring Jesus. And uh, that was powerful. That was powerful. Give them another hand. Would you do that? Thank you for coming from Romulus and uh, Lisa's family, and uh, you can come out to Brighton anytime you want, all right? Will you do that for me one time, please? Thank you. I just bless you. And uh, when I heard tonight, Life Challenge was going to be here. Life Challenge, men and women, you're the best. You are the best. Thank you. You really didn't have a lot of option, but thanks for coming anyway, right? You know what, Life Challenge? Some of the greatest years of serving with my dad. My dad pastored Brightmore Tabernacle for 12 years, from 1976 to 1988. In five of those years, I had the privilege of being on staff with him, youth pastoring, single adults pastor. And every Sunday, morning, Sunday night, we'd see those men and women come in. And uh, God's got his hand on you. God's got his hand on your lives. And uh, you just keep seeking after God. Keep doing what he calls you to do. And he's got good things. He's got good things for your life. And I bless you. 
want you to take the word tonight, Revival Tabernacle. And I want to speak to you from the book of Genesis. So we were praying about the message tonight. I'd like to speak to you on the subject of what are your options? What are your options? You know that uh, some of you may know, Brother Ken knows, others may know, but my dad pastored Brightmore Tabernacle for a number of years, and uh, my dad doesn't jog, he, he really doesn't play golf. My dad, I feel guilty if I play nine holes of golf because my dad always used to instill within me, Lisa, you can't be a good preacher and a good golfer. So if I felt like I was trying to be a good golfer, you know what, I was going to be a terrible preacher. But there's some people that say I'm neither. I'm not a good golfer or a good preacher. Help us. But my dad taught me something because he was not a jogger, not a tennis player, not a golfer. My dad is the most brilliant, even though he was the head of the Assemblies of God for 14 years and a great preacher, my dad is the best car guy I've ever met. I've been with him several times when owners of large car dealerships said, Reverend Trask, if you ever want to leave the ministry and run my used car department, you've got a job anytime you want. But my dad taught me a principle, RT and guests tonight, that whenever you're assessing the value of a particular car, you're to find out what are the options of that car to determine its value. Does it have leather upholstery or is it, is it just a cloth interior? Does it have a convertible top or does it have a sunroof if it's a hard top? Does it have navigation system in it? What, what are the options? Is it Bose stereo with CD or what are the options? I, uh, I have to tell you a funny story. There was a, uh, a, an old, old farmer that uh, went to the car dealership and he was going to trade in his old, decrepit, old truck. And he finally decided, you know what, this thing's about ready to, to keel over. I'm going to I'm gonna get a new truck. And so he saw an advertisement in the newspaper back in the day and he drove to the dealership, he picked out his new truck, and he went to cut a check, write a check for the, the cost of the vehicle. And the salesman said, well, well, wait, wait, wait just a minute. I haven't give you, given you the final cost yet. And the old farmer said, but uh, I saw the price advertised in the paper. And the salesman said, oh, that was for the basic model. All the options are going to cost you less. So the farmer draw, drove off a short while later, a little bit discouraged about the price because it was more than the advertisement. But he drove off in his new pickup. And a few months later, the salesman called the farmer because he wanted to buy a cow for his son's 4-H, his, 
his school project, 4-H project. And the farmer assured the salesman, we've got plenty of cows on sale for $500. Just come on out. Salesman drove out with the little boy, selected a cow, took out his checkbook, then he's going to write a check. And the farmer said, wait, 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 just a minute. I haven't given you the final cost yet. And then he handed the, sa- the car salesman a bill. It said, basic cow, $500. Two-tone exterior, $45. Extra stomach, $75. Milk storage compartment, $60. Straw recycle compartment, $120. Four handy spigots at $10 each, $40. Leather upholstery, $125. Dual horns, $45. Automatic rear fly swatter, $38. And fertilizer attachment, $185. Grand total, $1,233 for your cow. But the fact of the matter is this, RT and guests tonight. Whether you're buying cows or cars, it's important to know what your options are. What the, the bottom line is. Are you with me? But I would also submit to you that the fact of the matter in life is this. That you've got two basic options based upon what happens to you. Option A is this. In life you can get bitter and angry and hostile and unforgiving. You can let the enemy rob you of your victory in life and you can die as a person that never fully fulfills the purposes of God for his or her life. That's option A. Or option B is this. You can trust your life to the Lord. And you can lay your life before him tonight. And recognize that he truly can work all things together for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And that he has plans to prosper, not to harm you. You see, Joseph was a man who certainly had his share of days when everything went wrong. Joseph had more dark days than he did, and rainy days than he did sunny days. But I want you to look with me at just a couple of verses of Scripture. Would you stand with me for the reading of the Word? And would you turn with me to Genesis 39, And I want to pick up reading at verse number 19. When you get there, say amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 39. And I want to pick up reading at verse 19. Now let me give you the background. Look up here just for a second so we get context, okay? Joseph has had these dreams that, you know what, he's going to be a leader. He shared them with his dad. His brothers got angered about it threw him into a dry well, sold him into slavery. He's at this stage been hauled off to to Egypt, faraway country. He's been forgotten by his brothers in great part. His dad thinks he's dead. 
His mother's passed away. And he's a good-looking man. Potiphar, the captain of the Egyptian army, he, uh, his wife, Potiphar's wife, was always trying to make a play for Joseph. That's what the word says. He, uh, Joseph rebuffed her several times, even coming to the place where, you know what, he just said, I can't do this. He runs out, leaving his robe in her hand and storms out of the palace or out of the area. Potiphar's wife's very angry. Mrs. Potiphar isn't happy. She's been rebuffed. She concocts a story and, and says, look what this man is, this Hebrew that you've brought into our home, look what he's done, tried to do to me. Falsely accuses him, her. She falsely accuses him of rape. And this is where we pick up. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, verse 19, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners, say king's prisoners. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Lord Jesus, would you add your anointing to the word? Lord, I thank you for RT. Thank you for the visiting choir with Lisa's family. Thank you for our people that have come out to hear the word tonight. Thank you for Brother Ken and, and uh, Devin and Courtney and uh, Ron and Terry and this entire team. I bless Life Challenge, Lord. Pray for these guys. This word's going to be for them in great part and others. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to step to the side and your word would come alive to people. Lord, if you can't speak through me, I'm asking you because we love you tonight, Lord. Speak in spite of me to these people that you and I love. And when they leave this place in a half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that there was be, be a sense, just like Elijah said. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to RT. Commit this time to you in Jesus' mighty and wonderful and awesome name. And everybody would say... You may be seated. The former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, his name was Peter Marshall. Look at the quote that he said a number of years ago. He said, it is a fact of Christian experience that life is a series of troughs and peaks. In his effort to get permanent possession of the soul, God relies on the troughs more than the peaks. And some of his special favorites have gone through longer, deeper troughs than anyone else. These words aptly apply, RT, to the life of Joseph. Joseph had been put in a dark, dingy dungeon with some of the roughest characters. It's the king's prison, if you will. The roughest characters in all of Egypt. Now remind yourself, not for doing the wrong thing, but because he did what was right. He was there not because of a bad crime, but because of good character. For the better part of Joseph's life, the summary of his life would have been what? Nice guys finish last. Yet, R.T., after being 
rejected by his brothers, rebuked by his dad, sold into slavery after being thrown into a dry well, carried off to a foreign land, falsely accused of attempted adultery, wrongly imprisoned, Joseph still remains totally devoted to God. So whether he's in the pits, prison, or palace, Joseph remains totally devoted to the Lord. He knew I would submit to you how to handle adversity as well, if not better, than he did prosperity. And I submit to you on this November Sunday night in the city of Detroit, in Highland Park to be exact. This is a model that all of us can follow. Because the, matter, the fact of the matter is in life, RT, you're gonna go through some valleys. In fact, you're either in a valley right now, you're headed towards a valley, or coming out of a valley. You say, Brad, where's the good news there? Jesus uses just a different metaphor, doesn't he? He said in what? Matthew chapter five, verse 45. But he said the same thing. He said the rain falls on the righteous and it falls on the unrighteous. So the question is, choir, RT, life challenge. What are you going to do when the rain comes? You've got one of two options in life. You're either going to get bitter, say bitter, Bitter. or you're going to get better, Better. say better. Better. Eleanor Roosevelt, my uh, daughter, has her name, Eleanor. We call her Ellie. I'll tell you about her later on. Said these words, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It's expressed in the choices one makes. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. Tonight, if you've got a pen and paper, RT, or you've got a a pad or a phone, I want to give you just four principles for living in the prisons of life. What do you do when the bottom appears to have fallen out of your particular life? What do you do when everything seems to be against you? I want to give you four principles tonight. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Prison principle number one. When you find yourself in the prisons of life, don't demand to understand. Don't demand to understand. The word said there in verse 20 and 21 that the Lord was with him even while Joseph was in the prison. The word prison there in the Hebrew is literally the word for the whole. He's in the innermost prison. Not just an ordinary prison, he's in very tight security. And again, I know I'm repeating myself, RT, but not for doing right, for he's not for doing the wrong thing, he's done the right thing. Had he been willing to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife, there's a good chance he stays out of prison. But because he dared to be different, he purposed to be pure, he's now in prison. And I'm certain the devil, because the word says he is the old slew foot, he's the accuser of the brethren, 
I'm sure he must have just been whispering in Joseph's ear and said, hey, 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 Joe, how's serving God serving you now? Is this the way God rewards you for serving him? Now, Joe, there isn't even a God or you wouldn't be in prison. Or he might be saying, if, he, if, he's, if there really is a God, he sure doesn't love you, Joe, or you wouldn't be here. Or I'm going to tell you something else, Joe. You know what, if there's a God, he sure doesn't love you very much because he sure can't keep you out of trouble. He may love you, but he sure is a weak, pitiful God. And I submit to you, RT, there is a joy and there is a peace in your difficult places of just trusting in the omniscience of God, that he knows what you're going through, he knows where you're at. The word says, the word proclaims the eyes of the Lord roam throughout all the earth looking to strengthen those whose hearts are set towards him. So if you're here tonight in a situation where you say, I just don't understand. Did you know you're in good company? Habakkuk, the entire book in the Old Testament is about why. John the Baptist is thrown into prison and he asked Jesus, are you the one? The apostle Paul said, I'm perplexed. The prophet Joel threw up his hands and said, I just don't understand. I look forward to about uh, two weeks from this coming Thursday. It'll be Thanksgiving. And I run about 20 to about 25 miles a week. I got on the treadmill this afternoon and ran for a few miles. But I like on Thanksgiving morning, Ron and I, my wife and I have a, a routine. I'll crawl out of bed about 5.30 or 6 o'clock, and I'll come down to to uh, Jefferson and Woodward with about 25,000 other people, and I'll run in a 10K, 6.2 miles. I'll run in the 10K up Woodward and back down Woodward and, and around and finish up at Cobo Hall. Last year, out of 25,000, I finished, I think it was 1,742. I've, I've seen some people lift some hands, I'm number one, but nobody has ever lifted their hands and said, I'm 1,742. <laughs> but that's what I did. But you know what I found intriguing as I've done this every year? I, uh, I like running in the race because you see all the little kitties that are out there getting ready for the parade on Woodward. And they're there and there's some heaters there and they've got hot cocoa and, and you can kind of uh, really pretend the race is a little bit shorter or it helps it go by easier because you're slapping high five with the kids. But you know what I've watched over the year is this. Those kids get there early, and they, they look out at Woodward Avenue, and they can see maybe about 30 feet or 40 feet on either side of them. And they enjoy Santa Claus and the balloons and the floats that come by. But they see just a little bit either side of themselves. But you know what's intriguing, what I've also watched? is you'll see the executives go to the Renaissance Center right down off of Jefferson. And they'll go up and they have these parties there at the 50th and the 60th floor there and they'll have a suite that's reserved. 
in some of the offices, and they'll have buffets on that Thanksgiving morning, and they watch the parade from a whole different perspective. And the Spirit of God dropped in my heart not too long ago, RT, that I'm kind of like that little kid that sits on Woodward Avenue. I see back yesterday and a few days and I've got some memories and and I can try and project what's gonna happen out in the future and I've got plans for tomorrow and a board meeting tomorrow night but I really don't know what's gonna happen a, a few days from now for the most part. But my Lord, he's always got the big picture in mind. He's looking down from the 70th floor and he sees everything and he's working all things together for the good of those that love him. And things I never see or figure out, he's arranging circumstances and Joseph understood this. No matter what he was going through, whether he was in the pits, the prison, or the palace, He said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I I went to Bible college for four years. I did a Master's of Divinity for three years, a little shy of three years, and then a doctorate for another four years. And I want to help you all really take that course so you don't have to go to school for 10 years. How many of you want to learn this? You want me to save you a lot of money and a lot of time? Okay, here's the the lesson for your master's and doctorate and bachelor's work all in one little blurb. You ready? Say it with me. He's God. God. Say it nice loud. He's God. And I'm not. There you go. I give you an honorary doctorate tonight. He's the Lord and I'm not. The word says, Psalm 115, verse 3, Our Lord is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. If you go back to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. R.T., the Lord, is so much greater than we could ever imagine. I like what one preacher said. Me trying to understand God is kind of like me trying to explain to an ant how the internet works. I can't do it. I can't figure it out. But the fact of the matter is, just because I can't doesn't mean he can't. And he is the one that's in charge. Ron and I... Ron and I uh, moved to Brighton, as uh, Brother Ken mentioned, 24 years ago. And um, Rhonda, I married so far over my head. You know, she, is a, she was a school teacher in Farmington Hills School System. She was nominated as Teacher of the Year for the entire state. And uh, we were starting this church, and, and uh, we just prayed, and we said, Lord, if we'll delay for a couple of years having children, would you, uh, 
would you just bless us and help us get this church off the ground? And so we did. And uh, after a few years at the church, we just said, let's, let's make it our prayer, honey. We're going to start having children, and the church is established. It's growing. We're thankful for how he's provided. And as soon, within a month of us pray, beginning to pray, Lord, we sense this would be a good time. Uh, health issues started happening with my wife. And we started going for tests and tests and tests. Observing the ability to have children, not have children. Finally, after about, from beginning to end, about five years, quite honestly, RT, the doctor called and said, you know what, I don't know how to say this to you. I don't know how to convey it, but the fact of the matter is, you know what, you're never going to have kids. You know what, you got misdiagnosed back here. They should have uh, really harvested some eggs, but your ability to have children is all done. And so just give that up, look into other means, but the fact of the matter is it just isn't going to happen. And I can remember calling my dad. He was ministering, Ken, up in Alaska. And I had just gotten off the phone with the doctor. And uh, I called in tears, and I said, Dad, you know what? We just, we just heard from the doctor. You know what? Uh, we're not going to be able to have kids. I said, Dad, I don't get it. You know what? Some people don't give themselves to the work of God, and they can have kids no problem. And Ron and I, we, we've, we've sold everything. We gave up everything to come to this town, and, and now they tell us we can't even have kids. And I remember just he and I having a good cry together on the phone. And as I hung up the phone that day, RT, I can remember as sure as I'm talking to you, the Spirit of God speaking to my heart. Brad, you don't have to understand, but you do have to trust me. And I submit to you, RT, that in the prisons of life, when it seems as though the bottom has fallen out of the dreams or the plans that you had, you can't demand to understand. You've just got to come to the place of raw faith where you just say, I trust you, Lord. You see, the Lord will take the weight. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11 says what? The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, says the Lord. Now go, Moses. And he's God and I'm not. I've got to trust him. You see here, I want you to jot this down, friend, tonight. Joseph's commitment was never contingent upon his circumstances. Did you hear me? Joseph's commitment to the Lord was never contingent. Hey, everything's got to be going great, and I'll be committed. Joseph's commitment was never contingent upon his circumstances. And I can tell you, life challenge, there's going to be plenty of times, whether you're in the program or out of the program, you're going to have the tendency or you're going to have the temptation to say, you know what, I am out of here. I never signed up for that. You 
take your commitment and say, Lord, I trust you. I don't have to understand. I'm not going to demand to figure it all out. But Lord, I am going to follow after you. So say it with me. Don't demand to understand. Prison principle number two. Don't fail to be faithful. Don't fail to be faithful. Look what the word says in chapter 39. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now what does that tell you? He doesn't demand to understand, but he doesn't fail to be faithful. It tells me wherever Joseph sat, if he's in the present, he's just going to keep serving the Lord. He didn't understand it. He couldn't understand how he'd be sold as a slave. He couldn't understand why he was maligned and lied about. But you know what? Regardless, he's going to serve the Lord. And no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, I can tell you, God's going to be faithful to you. And you see what happens in the very next chapter. Are you with me? The very next chapter, Joseph's going to meet Pharaoh's butler. And he's going to meet a baker because they're going to be thrown into prison. And who's there, in essence, serving as the prison chaplain? Joseph. And they're going to come and they're going to cry on Joseph's shoulder and say, you know what? I don't understand that butler's going to say, I was a good butler, I was a good baker. But you know what? Joseph is going to be there. And the fact of the matter is, because the Lord sees the big picture. You still with me? Eventually, that butler's going to come back around. Now here's, this will preach. You ready for this, Ron? You ready? Don't miss this. What do butlers do? Butlers open doors for people. And that man is eventually going to open up a door for Joseph. But if Joseph isn't faithful, the fact of the matter is he's never going to have that divine appointment. And you and I tonight, we've got to understand this, RT. There is, with our Lord God Almighty, there's no accidents. There's only divine appointments. There are no accidents. There are only appointments. The word says this. We don't have to understand, but we have to be faithful. The word proclaims 1 Corinthians 4.2. Look at it. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Jesus himself said at Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. I love the story, RT, of the strapping giant that uh, walks in and this little guy is talking to this big giant. And he, this little guy goes up and he punches the big giant in the chest. And he says, you know what? If I was as big and as tall and as strong as you, I'd go right out into the woods right now and I'd find the biggest bear I could find and wrestle that big bear down to the ground. Big strapping guy looked down at the little guy and said, you know, 
There's plenty of little bears out in the woods too. (laughs) What was he saying? Don't be the one that's always saying, you know what, if I had a million bucks, you know what I could do for God? Can I ask, what are you doing with the hundred bucks you got right now? Before David could kill the giant, he had to take care of the lion and the bear. Moses, before he could emancipate an entire nation, the fact of the matter is he had to deliver some sisters at a well. And I submit to you, work diligently where you're at in the small things. And I, I want you to know, don't be surprised if God elevates you to greater things. You see, Joseph just kept keeping on. He's in the prison, gonna go on 10 years. But the fact of the matter is, again, I'm repeating, I know, his commitment isn't contingent upon the circumstances. Can I ask you, life challenge? Straight up tonight, I love you. Is your commitment contingent upon your circumstances? Do you do right, RT, when things are right? I, can, I submit to you, I've got a leadership principle. It's kind of like this. You can tell the size of a leader in their home, in their business, in their community, in their ministry, by what it takes to stop him or her. You see a picture on the screen of the Sistine Chapel painted by the great Michelangelo. And he was painting just over in a little corner of the Sistine Chapel little niche where no one was going to see with the naked eye. And a friend came up to Michelangelo and said, why are you painting there? No one will ever see. But Michelangelo responded, I see it and God will see it. Don't demand to understand. Don't fail to be faithful. Thirdly, don't bow to bitterness. RT, bitterness is just fermented anger. And people often get angry at individuals or circumstances because what happens to them, they don't approve of. And they're primarily, they're bitter primarily because somebody did them wrong somewhere along the line. And I would submit to you, As a long-term pastor, Brother Ken, there's nothing worse and more damaging to a human soul than bitterness. Now I want you to see this. Look at what Joseph says as he interprets the dream, after he interprets the dream for the butler, and the butler gets restored. But when all goes well, chapter 40, when all goes well with you, Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. Even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Stop right there. I love this guy, Joseph. Because he shoots straight. He said, I haven't done anything wrong. But do you know what this guy could have been in his spirit if he had let it get away with him? I mean, people have turned on him. They falsely accused. His brothers have rejected him as dead, thought he had lost his mind. But Joseph just says, hey, would you just remember me? 
He could have been, why that lady, those guys, I don't deserve this. I'm mad. I'm not going to take it anymore. But I don't sense even a hint of a bitter spirit in this guy. He doesn't say one thing about Potiphar's wife. He doesn't mention really his brothers by name. There's not a hint of vengeance. If I get the chance, man, look out. Here's a principle, RT. And I want to read you a verse of scripture and then I'll expound. Peter, this right-hand man to Jesus, says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. In essence, can I just give you Brad's paraphrase? God looks at you and I tonight and he says, here's what I like, Brad. You get treated wrong for the right reason. You do good and you take a spanking for me when you don't even deserve it. But if you respond the right way, I'm going to bless your life. Uh, uh, You get dealt a wrong deal and you still respond the right way, there's blessings. But conversely, look what the writer of Hebrews says. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In life, I'm ready. I want to shoot straight to you, RT. You ready? Everybody look up here just one second. In life and in ministry, you're going to get burned. You're going to get dealt a wrong deal. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. There might be somebody here tonight I'm speaking to, and you were cheated by your brothers and your sisters on an inheritance from your mom and dad. I'm asking you tonight, is there a mom or a dad that your children have wronged you and and, uh, you've been faithful to them, but they've almost forgotten where you're at? Is there some wife here tonight that your husband's unfaithful to you and, and you gave him the best years of your life. Is there somebody here tonight that somewhere along the line a church mistreated you? You did something, served somewhere, were faithful, and you weren't recognized for it. Maybe on the job there's somebody here tonight you've been passed over for a promotion that you thought you deserved. You worked harder than that person. Would you ask the Lord to make sure there's not a root of bitterness in your life? You see, bitter person, I'm here to tell you, God sent this preacher all the way from Brighton, Michigan to you tonight. It's not hurting the person that you're bitter towards. It's only hurting you. And how many people in life have lost their effectiveness and lost their anointing and lost their testimony because they got embittered because they thought they should have been dealt better cards. My, uh, my dad is, and mother have been in the Assemblies of God our entire lives. My dad was the before he was the district superintendent and the general superintendent worldwide for the Assemblies of God, he started out and he was just an Assemblies of God district youth director. 
held the activities for all the, the youth of the state of Michigan. Michigan just had their youth convention last week, uh, this weekend. And when my dad and mother were youth directors, at the time, the polity, the governance of the Assemblies of God was that there was always an assistant youth director who kept his church, pastored his church, but assisted the full-time district youth director. And the idea, the mindset was, you know what, when the director leaves his position to go and pastor a church or move on, that the normal process of thought was that the assistant director would leave his church and ascend to that position. I was just a little guy, four years old, I think, when my dad was elected as the district youth director. And I can still remember, I'll call the man John, that's not his real name, I can still remember John and his family that assisted my dad, pastored a church, and uh, was my dad's assistant. My dad served faithfully for four years in that district youth role. And then God sovereignly called my mom and dad to pastor in Saginaw, Michigan for five years. So when my dad and mother left the district youth role, the conventional thought was to John, okay, I'm the man, I've been the assistant, now I'm gonna get this role. But when the men met, the presbyters, the leadership of the Assemblies of God met, they said, John's not the guy. You know what, we're gonna pick somebody else. And John never let that get out of his spirit, friends. I'm speaking to somebody tonight. John never let that get out of his spirit. Who are these guys? I'm the man. And you ask my parents to this day, my mom's 82, my dad's 81, RT. If you would have ever told them back when I was a little boy that that district assistant youth director would end up leaving his wife, running off with another lady, and then having a child out of wedlock, my parents would have said, you're out of your mind. That would never happen. But that's exactly what happened. Because a man got embittered over what happened in his life. And I'm here to tell you, you can't afford to lose out with God. You can't afford to do it. As Lisa and the worship team comes back, can I give you one more prison principle? Say it with me, RT, will you? Don't demand demand. to understand. understand. Don't fail fail. to be faithful. faithful. Don't bow bow. to bitterness. And last principle tonight, don't push providence. The word says this, Chapter 40, verse 23, and chapter 41, verse 1. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. The word tells us in chapter 41 that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the king of Egypt. So get the math with me. Somewhere around 17 or 18, Joseph's thrown into prison. He's been there 10 years. The butler forgets about him for a full two years. But after two years, Pharaoh has a dream, and it comes to mind in the butler's mind. You know what? I forgot there's a guy down in the prison that can interpret dreams. He did it for me. He can help you. Are you with me? Say amen. 
He's 30 years old. And it seems like everyone's forgotten him. His mother's passed away. His dad thinks he's dead. His brothers have forgotten him. Potiphar's forgotten him. Potiphar's wife has forgotten him. Pharaoh doesn't even know him. The butler's forgotten him. The baker's dead. But I'm here to tell you tonight, God hadn't forgotten him. And no matter what you're going through, I want you to know God knows exactly where you're at. I guarantee you, somewhere in that season where the butler is back in his position, Joseph's wrestling with the idea, you know what, i got to make this happen. If I can just get a note to the butler, hey, 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 can you arrange a meeting? Or I can manipulate this situation. But hear me, RT. If Joseph would have done it ahead of time and gotten ahead of God, he would have missed out on the blessings that God had for his life. He could have tried to manipulate the situation, but what was the fact of the matter? Pharaoh hadn't had his dream yet. And the timing of the Lord is always perfect. We get in trouble because we try and push things to make them happen. And there is a responsibility on our part, but in great part, we've just got to trust God. It's kind of what I tell I, I played basketball in high school and college, and there was a term that it was called, people that played sports, they get it. It was allowing the game to come to you. You could try and make it happen, but good athletes understand, you know what? I'm just going to seize the opportunity. I'm going to let the game come to me, and then I'm going I'm to go for it. And there is a principle in our lives that, yeah, we can be trying to make it happen, but the fact of the matter is, that the blessings of God, the promotion of God cometh from him. Look what the word says, and I'll close. Psalm 75, 6 and 7. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. So remember, RT, his timing's always perfect. The word provision, say provision. The word, very word provision literally is two Latin words. To see beforehand. Video, pro, beforehand, pro. See before. God sees before. He's Jehovah Jireh. He knows what you have need of before you ever ask. But he asks you to ask because you're recognizing, Lord, this isn't going to happen by my doing. You've got to arrange it. Look at the word says. Can you pull up that, that slide with the psalm on it, please? Right near the end. Go just a little bit further, would you please? Look what the psalmist says. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. God sent the word to you tonight, friend. You're not even here by accident. You didn't come just to hear a, a, an incredible choir. The Lord sent the word of God to you tonight. That don't you dare let the enemy rob you. Don't you try and make it happen. He'll work it out. You just step back and you say, Lord, I trust you. I, I'm not going to bow to bitterness. I'm not going to fail to be faithful. I don't have to figure it all out, Lord. I'm not going to push providence, but I'm going to trust in the Lord God Almighty. Stand with me, would you, RT? want to share with you two stories as the team gets ready to lead us. Sister Lisa does. If you're here tonight, before I even share the stories and before we close, in text, will you be ready to just show those last two slides in a moment? If you're here tonight, I'm going to ask you to respond in two different ways. You're here tonight. You just find yourself in a prison. You feel like the whole situation, you're in Life Challenge, you're in Romulus, you're in Brighton, you're in Detroit. There can be prisons anywhere. And I'm not talking about with bars. I'm talking about the fact of the matter is you feel like, you know what, it's, the bottom has fallen out. But you just say, Lord, I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna trust in you. Before we ever close, in prayer. If that's you tonight, you're here and you just say, I feel like I'm in a prison. I want you to be the first to step out. And then I want to ask the rest of you that are just committed to being faithful unto the Lord, would you just make your way out and just say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm recommitting. I'm going to be found faithful no matter what the circumstances. But those of you that are in a tough place right now, job-wise, family-wise, relations, whatever it looks like. Step out, meet me at this altar. Will you do that? Life challenge, people, step out right now. Will you do that? If you're in a difficult place, need God's grace in that circumstance, come and just meet me at this altar. Awesome. I bless you. I bless you, sister. Rest of RT and Life Challenge, come, stand behind these. Tonight, you're here and you just say, Lord, I'm going to be found faithful. No matter what the circumstance, come into these altars. We're just going to worship the Lord before we go in just a moment. That's you tonight. Choir, come and join these, would you? RT, come and join these behind him. Love you, buddy. Those of you that came forward, look up here for a second. I'm just going to share with you two thoughts. Sister Lisa, can you sing that? Was it Our God is an Awesome God? In just a moment. I want you to see a picture of a man that had a great impact on my life. And I want to tell you a story about him. This man in the left, he, his name was 
Dr. Stephen Alford. I went back in the early, the mid-1990s, and I attended a seminar with him that my parents had purchased for me and a couple other ministers that uh, we went and just heard and sat under this man's ministry for a number of days. Great preacher of the gospel. If you, uh, if you read any of his books, they're, they're incredible. But Stephen Alford was the son of missionary parents in Angola, Africa. His parents were very uh, poor missionaries. And Stephen had a brilliant mind. He said, you know what? I, I'll, I'll make a lot of money, but I'm not going into the ministry. I'm not going to live like mom and dad. So he literally ran from God. Went to Cambridge University. Very, very prestigious school in London, England. And he studies engineering there. And he de- he's got such a brilliant mind, he, he develops a carburation system for motorcycles. And he would, he would race these motorcycles and test the, his carburation system out on the weekends. And then after one particular race, he was on his way back to his house in that, riding that motorcycle, and it was a rainy night. He slid down into a pit, into a ditch, fell face down into the water. And his, his, after a number of hours, he was finally rescued, however, did some severe damage to his lungs. After he had been in the hospital for a few days, the doctor came in and said, son, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, that fluid's not coming out of your lungs. You don't have long to live. You better make it right with your creator. And at the same time after the doctor left, a letter came from his dad that had been, he knew his boy was running from God. Dr. Alford's parents, they didn't have email and the immediate delivery or FedEx like we do today. Before the accident ever happened, his dad wrote a letter just with a couple of sentences. And he just wrote out, Dear Stephen, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Love, Dad. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Stephen Alford got out of that bed just with the little bit of energy that he had. He lifted his hands towards the Lord and he just said a six-word prayer that's on the screen. Lord, anytime, anywhere, any cost, amen. I'd like to ask you to just lift your hand tonight under the Lord. And would you where you stand before we lift up a voice of praise under the Lord? Would you say that prayer with me and utter that before the Lord and just reconfirm your faith in him tonight? Lord, anytime, anywhere, any cost, amen. Let's say it again. Lord, anytime, anywhere, any cost, amen. Sing this with Lisa and the team, and I want to share one more thought. Would you, where you stand? You're going through it? Sing a song of praise unto him with the team, would you?
from heaven above. an awesome God he reigns stone power love our God is an awesome God he reigns Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. God is an awesome. Sing it one more time. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. Awesome God. Dr. Alford didn't pass away after two weeks. Lord sovereignly touched him, went into the ministry, and he preached the gospel, wrote numerous books. And the Lord took him home to his reward in 2004 at the age of 86. I want you to know when you give yourselves to the Lord God, he'll be a debtor to no man. He knows where you're at. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. He knows what you're going through. He sees you. When you only see a day or two on either side, he's looking down from the heavens above. He knows exactly where you're at. Now let me just try and personalize it before we sing this one more time. And Brother Keen closes the service. Remember I told you, Ron and I, we just, we couldn't have children. And uh, we love our nieces and our nephews, and so... You know, after a number of years, we just said, hey, it's not going to happen for us. We came close on a couple of adoptions, but Lord just closed the doors. And then all of a sudden in RT, September, just a little over five years ago, we got an email from a lady in our church. They're one of these double diamond Amway people, you know. And uh, they've since moved to Florida, but they, they just sent an email. Pastor and Rhonda, are you guys still open to adoption? We just said, you know, we, I remember looking at my wife in the office, and I said, how do you want me to respond to this? It's, it's not going to work out, but sure. You know what? Okay. Let's, so I write back to Carol. Carol, you know what? We never want to stand in the way of the Lord. You know what? We're getting up there in age to be able to adopt children. But you know what? We're going to trust God. And uh, if you want to submit our names, 
Now here's the principle. When you try and make it happen, and it's not in God's timing, it's just like pushing things uphill. But when God's in it, when God's in it, say when God's in it, it just happens. It, ju- it just happens. We, the, the people that wrote us the letter, they had these, they're Amway people, they have these number of people under them, a thousand people worldwide. And one of the associates under them, their daughter got pregnant at 17 and couldn't care for the child. And so we met her. Whenever I drive by Ken, Novi Road, the Panera there, that right, right at the Novi exit on 96, we met her there in September of 2011. And uh, we just said, you know what, we'll, we'll take care of the child. We'll adopt the child if you want. You, you've got to feel it. We met with her one hour that day, one hour in December, and Eli, Elijah, was born in March of 2012. I want you to see a picture. Will you show him? There's our little guy on the right. And then after two and a half years, just out of nowhere, this lady on the computer says to my wife, you know what, did you ever adopt a baby? We did, we, we told her all about Eli. Hey, by the way, that's after I came in, that's the race, 1722 right there, Thanksgiving morning. We just wrote back and this lady from Wichita, Kansas said, you know, I think this girl's gonna have a baby that, that you, you would, be good adoptive parents for her. We never met her, never talked to her. Just drove out to Kansas, July 23rd, 2014. Met her at the hospital, and that's Eleanor and Elijah. And RT, what I'm saying is this. Now, I want you to hear it from my heart, and this will be the last words I say, I promise you, before I encourage you to sing this one more time. I know how some of you are regarding your kids. Some of you at Life Challenge, some of you at RT, some of you from the church in Romulus. And Lord bless you. I I rejoice that you were able to have kids naturally. But I want you to hear my heart. I wanted kids naturally one day too but now looking back I can't imagine life without these two it's just how it worked for us and I wouldn't trade the circumstances all the pain and all the tears for anything I promise you I love my son and my daughter Make sure you tell Pastor Devin to have me back. I'll bring them with next time, okay? But be ready. This, that son of mine couldn't be any more like me. He is going, not, he runs everywhere. Somebody said to me in the, at, at our church, Pastor, if he's not an Olympic marathon runner, you've been a total failure as a dad. <laughs> he runs everywhere. He knows where we're at. We can trust him. He's looking down from above, and he knows where you're at. So just as Lisa and the team sing it one more time, thanks for letting me be here tonight.
Just lift up a voice of praise. Our God is an awesome God. Just give him praise. Would you lift your hands right now where you're at? Just praise him. Our community at Revival Tabernacle aims to reach our city and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you for your support. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at www.revivaltab.org.